I want to uh, talk to you today about something very important, and as I do that, I want to introduce it this way. I uh, really enjoyed this spring going to watch my seven-year-old grandson play baseball. This was the first year he was uh, eligible to play organized baseball, played in the seven- and eight-year-old league, and uh, he was in the field playing second base, and right behind him, right in the middle of the games going on, the the little guy, his friend who's playing outfield just behind him, decided just to lay down. He just face down in the grass, glove over here, just face planted into the grass. The coach, I forget the boy's name, but the coach yells out, hey, get up. So-and-so, he called his name, get up. And Gabe turns around, and he's, that's my grandson, and he goes back, and he kind of, you could tell, you know, we don't know what he's saying, of course, but he comes back, and he gets back up, and he says, he says he doesn't want to get up. That, that's what he said, you know. And uh, we all laughed. You know, well, his coach wasn't laughing, and, and uh, his mother wasn't laughing either. She gets up, and she starts to make her way around, and he, his head, and he sees his mom. He gets up, you know. She didn't have to make it all the way out. But, you know, I got to thinking, something's wrong with this picture, kind of. Now, I know we can have a bad day, and... I think it was a long inning. In this league, you can have very long innings. You're playing out. You can't get anybody out sometimes, and you're just out there forever. But I understand that. But shouldn't baseball be fun? I mean, it was a beautiful day. This little guy's out with his buddies. They're playing the American pastime, you know, and there he is face down in the grass, not enjoying a thing, you know. And it got me thinking, though, sometimes about even our experience as Christians, I mean, I know we have long innings. We have uh, some very difficult days in our lives. But shouldn't Christianity be something that's so fulfilling day by day and abiding? And I, that's what I really want to talk to you today about, something called abiding Christianity. God abiding with us, we abiding with God, and enjoying close fellowship with him. I think this is the heart of the Bible. This is why God created us. He created us so that we could be and enjoy fellowship with him. Uh, I want to talk to you from our letter today, obviously, John, who followed Jesus, walked with him for three years, and he has written this letter that we've been studying. I'm going to get there in a second, but he also wrote, John, a gospel account of Jesus' life, and he alone included a story in it that I want to open up with by, because it's very relevant to what we're talking about here today, and it really gives us a heart of God's intention for us that we would enjoy living in abundance with him. John tells the story of a time when Jesus attended in Jerusalem the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, Now, we're not Jewish. Most of us are not very familiar with the Feast of Tabernacles or booths, or sometimes it's called ingathering, the Feast of ingathering. It was one of the three pilgrimage feasts that the Jewish men were, especially in their families, were uh, really commanded to attend. They'd leave their homes and they'd travel to Jerusalem for this week-long festival. And Jesus decided to go, even though the Jewish leadership was threatening to kill him. And this was well known. Uh, and so the, the Feast of Tabernacles, just in a nutshell, looks back to the time after God had delivered the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, 
And he brought them out into the wilderness, and he led them in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, he didn't want it to be 40 years, but the sin of the people made it last that long. But they were going to be on their way to the promised land. While they lived in the wilderness, they lived in temporary shelters. And God wanted them to remember this, so he said, I want you during this feast to construct these booths or tabernacles dwelling places and they would do this out of olive branches uh, olive tree branches or palms and and other fruit tree uh, branches and it would have they would have three sides they'd be open on one side and they'd have a roof that you could see through <laughs> and uh, the purpose of the booth was to remind the people that life is transient that was not their permanent place life is transient and you have to depend on God for everything. And you're going to need two things from God. You're going to need his provision, God's provision, and you're going to need God's presence if you're going to even survive. Would you think of those two things? Keep those in your mind. God says you need my presence and you need my provision. You see, they didn't have food, right? They didn't have enough water in the wilderness. So what did God do? How did he provide? He sent manna from heaven, these, this cakey substance in the morning that they would collect and have to eat. And when they didn't have water, what, where did God produce water? Anybody know? Out of a rock. A rock of all places. Impossible. He produced water out of a rock. And when they were in the wilderness, they had God's presence. In the daytime when they moved, there was this cloud. And, and what, I assume it wasn't like an ordinary cloud. They knew it was the presence of God. At night when they moved, it was a pillar of fire. God himself leading his people. Now, Jesus is attending the tab Feast of Tabernacles. And so they're remembering all these things. And they had part of the feast every day. If you were uh, attending this feast, think if we had meetings like uh, for a full week. I, th I think that'd be kind of cool. But you'd have to get up at dawn because that's what they did. They came at dawn to the temple. And they, they had what they called a water-drawing ceremony. And what they'd do, all the people would come, the priests would take these golden pitchers, and they, they would head out of the temple court area where the altar was, the outer courts, and they'd head out and down into the valley where the pool of Siloam was. And when they got to the pool of Siloam, all the priests would dip their golden pitchers down in and pull water up. And they're remembering, as we wandered, God gave us water. We would have died. So it's a joyous thing. It's not this solemn procession, you know. There's tambourines and there's flutes and lutes and lyres and singers and they're clapping and the, the whole half mile. Can you imagine if we, let's say we got up right now and went to Brunswick Lake, okay? We're going to process to Brunswick Lake and we're going to thank the Lord as we go. Okay, Brunswick Lake's a little too far. We'd have to, <laughs> let's pretend it's a half mile away, all right? But the whole way there, they're, think if we were going down 42, just clapping and praising and honoring God and thanking him. And they'd get there and they'd fill up those pitchers and they'd make their way back praising. And when they got back, these, they had trumpet players. And they had these three loud blasts when they got back to the temple courts. You know, just picture that. And then the priest would, would yell this out at the top of his lungs from the prophet Isaiah, with joy. You will draw water from the wells of salvation. It's a joyous thing. And, and really what he's saying is that, well, that uh, salvation is God himself. 
you are going to draw your sustenance from God himself. He, and then they would sing this praise song based on one of the messianic uh, psalms, Psalm 118. They would sing and, you know, save us, O Lord. What, what is it? Save us, we pray, O Lord. They'd sing that. And then the priest would pour out the water around the altar. And salvation was pictured as having God. He is our salvation. Now, perhaps on the seventh day, let me just say this, on the seventh day, they did that every day of the feast, okay? Every morning, come to the temple, go to the pool of Siloam, they, they repeat it. But on the seventh day, when they got back to the temple, they marched around the altar seven times. <laughs> Does that sound familiar? Anybody remember the battle of Jericho and God's going to lead them into the promised land? It was, it was kind of like that was the culmination. See, we're transient here in, in this earth, but God's going to lead us to the promised land. And so they, they go around seven times and the, the trumpets blow and the priests pour out the water. And with joy, you will drink from the wells of salvation. You drink water from the wells of salvation. And just at this moment, John says... You could see a figure making his way through the crowd. And here's how John records it. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. <laughs> Maybe that doesn't hit you as hard as it would have hit the people then because they said the Lord God is our song and our salvation. He has become my salvation. Now Jesus says, come to me. I'm the one that you are lifting up today. I am that well of salvation. I am your salvation. You see how radical it is for any human being to say that? What if I stood before you today and said, come to me, Hope Church, come to me, and out of you will flow rivers. You'd look at me and you'd say, get out of here, I know you. <laughs> I'm not coming to you. For a man, for any man to come up and say, come to me, I am the wellspring of life. He's saying, I am God. Come to me. I'll satisfy. I am God's provision for your thirst. Just like God provided for you in the, out in the wilderness. I, you're living in the wilderness of sin and spiritual darkness, and I'm the well. Come to me. Friends, that is salvation. Jesus, us coming to Jesus, Jesus coming to us and abiding in us. I like, I came across this quote from an English preacher. Uh, he lived in the 18, or 1800s, early 1900s. His name is Alexander McLaren. He said this, listen to this. He said, if there is a man or woman who thinks of salvation as if it were merely a shutting up of some material hell or the dodging around a corner so as to escape some eternal consequence of transgression, let him or her hear this. 
The possession of God is salvation. That's what it's about. It's not about escaping hell. It's about possessing God. That and nothing else. To have Him, God, within me, that is to be saved. To have His life in His dear Son made the foundation of my life. To have my whole being penetrated and filled with the Holy Spirit. That is the essence of, sal- of the salvation that is in Jesus Christ. I say amen. 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 Sorry, I'm so weepy. These things are marvelous. Let me just pray for us. And as we look into John's letter now, with that background and with that uh, kind of foundation of what we're looking for, what we need from God, this abiding Christianity, let's ask for his help. Lord, I think that if we're honest, many of us in this room are like Gabriel's friend who was just laying down in the grass just didn't have any strength or desire, didn't sense any joy in the game. (laughs) May we hear your words this morning, Jesus, if anyone is thirsty, let him come or let her come to me. Holy Spirit, come and be with us in these moments together. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, John added some commentary to uh, this, what Jesus had said on that day. He said in verse 39, he said, Now, This he said about these rivers of living water flowing out of us. John says, now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. But friends, we live in the day where Jesus has been glorified, and the Spirit has been given. And so God is saying to us, these rivers of living water are produced by the Holy Spirit who lives within the heart of a believer. I want to show you these foundations even in our passage today from 1 John. So if you'll turn to 1 John chapter 3, we're going to finish the chapter beginning on at verse uh, 18 and finish the chapter. Let's look at this together. Let me just read it. You can follow along. Uh, 1 John three eighteen. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he, Christ, has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. You see it? (laughs) There's an abiding presence of God that we are to know and God abiding in us. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. 
Friends, you see God's provision for us. Just like he provided for the people in the wilderness, in the desert so many thousands of years ago. And his provision is simply his son, Jesus Christ. He says this is a command that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus. Isn't it interesting? Jesus offers an invitation. Come to me. <laughs> it's an invitation. But it's not just an invitation. It's, it's a command. <laughs> God says, believe in my son. He is my provision. There is no other place to go. <laughs> now, this is a problem for us as human beings, all of us, because it's in our DNA to make our own way, to want to make our own way to be made right with God. Look, think about it. Everything in our lives is, is merit-based. I started school, and you take tests, you know, you, you took tests in school. Let's say I got 7 out of 10. What percentage is that? You guys are good, 70%. Now, that's not really good, huh, George? Uh, you get 70, that's, what is that? Is that a C? Minus. C minus. Ugh. Okay, I get 9 out of 10 on the test. What's that? A minus. A minus, 90%. That's pretty good. If I get a 50, 5 out of 10, that's F. Oh, I didn't study. <laughs> you, see, but you see what I'm saying? If you work hard, if you study, you do better, right? It, you know, life isn't just handed to us. So you have to work hard. And there's nothing wrong with that. It, I'm just saying, that's, that's our system. You want a job as an adult? You go, you prepare for a job interview. You're going to do your homework and prepare your resume well. You're going to go in. You're going to look nice. You're going to try to be as prepared as you can. You may get the job. But if you go in, you kind of blow it off. Your resume's all messed up. And, you know, you don't look that good. You don't answer the questions. that You're not engaged. Look, you're not going to get the job. It's, everything is merit-based. So when we come to our spiritual lives, the problem is our merit has no role whatsoever in being made right with God. Not our goodness, not our church attendance, not our... And so it's so hard for us. We keep wanting to do something, okay? But it's not on the, our merits. Eternal life isn't done that way. God has to provide for us. And God's provision is Jesus Christ. Uh, all merit is in the Son. Say that with me. All merit is in the Son. None of it, uh, none of us will stand before God and say, well, God, I did this and this and this and this. That's, I, I've earned my way to heaven. Now, so that's the first foundation of abiding Christianity. You recognize that God has made provision for you for his salvation. It's in Jesus. Believe in him. Secondly, though, God's abiding presence is given to us. And that's shown in verse 24, the end. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. You see, God provides his Son that we are to believe in him, but he doesn't leave it there. He doesn't say, okay, you believed in him, now good luck. Get out there. And we get all into the merit-based thing again. Okay, now, come on, work it out. Paul says, in him, in God, you all, or in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Anyone who comes to Christ is sealed. God puts the Holy Spirit in your heart. He seals you with it. He, you are, and it says that you belong to him, and we need his spirit, because when the, even though God's spirit comes to live in us, guess who wants to keep getting back in the game? 
The Satan, yes, but our own flesh. Our sinful nature. In the Greek, it's called sarx, S-A-R-X. It doesn't even sound good in the Greek. Sarx. Listen, it's ugly. You've got it, I've got it. The flesh wants what it wants, when it wants it, doesn't care about anybody else. Listen, I'll take care of mine. (laughs) And the flesh wants to lead you in places that God's Spirit doesn't want you to go. Come on. You're looking at me real holy-like. Okay, look, how come when I'm on the TV and I'm flipping through channels and all of a sudden there's this little romance scene going on? Why, why do I slow down on the clicker? Come on, guys, you with me? Amen. <laughs> I guess I opened myself up for that. Let's, uh... No, seriously, my flesh wants to go there. I'm just being honest with you. It doesn't have to be that. You know, what about irritations? You know, you're irritated with somebody. Your flesh wants to, let's camp out there. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about how bad the, let's, gosh, he's irritating. So, oh man, that person is irritating. He, did you hear what he, and we, our flesh just wants to keep going. Put, put flame in the fire. Here's your flesh. Yeah, go, go. He's terrible. You know? Okay, now I think you're understanding. You're, you have the same flesh I have. All merit is in the Son. Now listen to me. All power is in the Spirit. That's the message of our salvation. All merit is in the Son, but all power is in His Spirit. We need His Spirit to help us. And the way we do that is the Bible asks us to yield to the Spirit's control. We're going to flesh this out in just a moment. Someone has said, two natures beat within my breast. (laughs) One I love, the other I hate. The one I feed will dominate. And maybe in place of that word feed, maybe we could say, it doesn't rhyme as well in the little saying, but the one I yield to will dominate. Let me flesh this out. Look at the first verse in our text today, verse 18. It says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Let's be honest. (laughs) It's not easy to love other people sometimes. Some people are easy to love, perhaps. Others are... Not so easy to love. And plus, it's easy to talk about love, but real love always involves actions, right? Uh, We have the phrase in our culture, easier said than done, right? Uh, It's like losing weight. Let me give you a testimony. It's easier to talk about than do. Uh, Ask me how I know. It's really easy to talk. Oh, yeah, tomorrow. (laughs) Can I get a witness? Uh, Tomorrow. Tomorrow, I'm going to, yeah, tomorrow, right after this cheeseburger and fries and chocolate cake. I'm starting tomorrow. But loving people in our flesh is not easy to do. In fact, I would say that we're not really capable of doing it. But uh, John says you have to not only love, just talk about being loving people, you have to act. That's what God does. We can't just talk about love. 
we have to actually live out love. Isn't that how God loved? God so loved the world that what? He gave. He didn't just say he loved us. He sent his son. God demonstrates his love to us in this. While we are yet sinners, what? Christ died for us. It's always, love is always an action. The Bible describes God's love, agape love like this. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at the wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. That's God's love. Now the truth is, though, we don't have that kind of love in ourselves. I don't. I just don't. So here's how yielding works. Moment by moment, day by day, however often it would happen in a day, let's say uh, I'm irritable. I'm just, everything is irritating me. You ever have days like that? Everything's irritating me. You know what? It was funny how God is. Coming here today, I was irritated because I was running a little late. And I got to the light at Laurel. Uh, I came up Laurel and I was trying to make a left on Pearl. And you know, we have this new light system that's supposed to, well, you're sitting there. There weren't cars coming the other way. I was sitting there. I was the only guy there. And I think one car went by the first time. And I kept looking at the light. It's supposed to, it's going to change. It's, I'm late. It's going to change. And I'm getting irritated. This isn't what, and it seemed like the whole cycle went out. I was there like, and it was only a minute, but it seemed like about five hours, you know, when you're in a hurry. And it's something as simple as that that starts getting a set off, you know, and next thing you know, you have an attitude of irritation. And that kind of feeds into the rest of the day. And then you start getting irritated with everything. In that moment, when an irritation comes to you, just recognize that's your flesh. And in that moment, say, just pray. Oh God, I'm irritated. You know it. You know everything. Would you help me now to yield this irritation to you? Fill me with your peace. Give me water to refresh me that I don't have in myself. Do you ever do that? This is, we don't do it enough, all of us. And I'm saying this is why we don't have an abiding presence of Jesus in our lives. We don't do this enough. We just forge ahead in our flesh. We, sometimes we don't even recognize that's what it is. You know, can he help us with all these problems? <laughs> I mean, he made water come out of a rock, okay? Can't he help bring water, spiritual refreshment to our hardened hearts that are rock-like sometimes if we will ask him? Our founder, A.B. Simpson, wrote a song with these words. I'm weary of sinning and stumbling, repenting and falling again. I'm tired of resolving and striving finding the struggle so vain. I long for an arm to uphold me, a will that is stronger than mine, a Savior to cleanse me, but not only cleanse me, and fill me, and keep me by power divine. I want to be patient and gentle, 
long-suffering and loving and kind, as quick to acknowledge my failings as I to another's am blind. I want to be quiet and peaceful, though tempest around me may roll. The stillness of Jesus within me, possessing and filling my soul. I long, oh, I long to be holy, conformed to his will and his word. I want to be gentle and Christ-like. Oh, I want to be just like my Lord. Like Pastor Tom preached last week, I want to have the family resemblance. It will never come from your flesh. Ever. Never. You will never be able to produce this kind of life in yourself. It is only possible through the abiding, empowering presence of God the Holy Spirit in your life. And when the Spirit, as you yield to Him, produces these things, we have an assurance, first of all, that we belong to Him. Look at verse 19. It says, by this... Now, in the context, he's saying, when I actually love people, not just in talk, but when, I'm act, when God's Spirit helps me actually to love people with deeds and in truth, when that's happening in my life, it is evidence that we are of the truth, John says. That's evidence. Do you want to know if you're a Christian? I'm not saying 100% all the time this happens, but whenever you love like God loves, whenever you a sense of victory from Him, whenever you... Uh, Whenever you sense God working in your life, trust me, that's God working in your life. That's evidence that he's in your life. And then it also gives us an assurance that we belong to him and we can have confidence, even if our own hearts condemn us. Look at the rest of this, uh, 19 and 20. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Listen, John has already talked about people who say, I'm just going to live however I want and sin. I know it's wrong, but God will forgive me. That's giving license to sin. And John's already talked about that in his letter. He's saying people that do that, uh, I'm, John's saying it, the Word of God is saying it, they, they show that they don't even belong to, to me. You can't just continue to sin, habitually sin, and not have any sense of conviction and confession before God and that just say, I'm just going to do it because God's gracious. But the other side of the spectrum is those who sincerely have given their hearts to Christ, you should not bring condemnation to yourself either when you fall and when you fail. What's the answer, John says? If we, if we sin, what do we do? We confess our sins to God, and he is faithful and righteous to forgive us. We don't beat ourselves up and say, oh, why did I, you know, I'm, I'm flipping through the thing, uh, the TV, and I have this thought or something that isn't right. I, you know, I can think, oh, I'm not a Christian. Here I am. I'm a pastor. I, leave, I help lead a church, and I had a thought like that. How disgusting. I'm a worm. <laughs> I should just quit. 
Those are condemning thoughts. Rather than say, oh Jesus, I'm so sorry. Thank you that you died for that sin. I confess it. I, I'm repented. I'm, I'm on. And, and then the Bible promises what? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. The way is clear between me and him. You know? And when the way is clear between us, verse 21 says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. You see, there's a confidence in obedient living. There's a confidence because we're living close to Him. And it even says that whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commands and do what pleases Him. It's a picture of fruitfulness, a fruitful Christian life. Uh, I know some people, let's not get into some of our prayers aren't answered. John deals with this a little later. He says, God answers us even as we pray according to his will and God's sovereignty comes and I understand all that. But the picture is fruitfulness. We're close with God and we ask things that we need as we're prompted by his spirit and he gives those things to us. He helps us and it's really a picture of abiding Christianity. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Uh, worship team, would you come? I want to ask you a question today. Friends, how would you describe your Christian life? Would you say it's more about humble, abiding, or human striving? Maybe you feel weary today spiritually. You really are not enjoying the life-giving waters that Jesus wants to give you. Listen, the sermon is not the most important part of the service. Do you know that? Do you realize that? What I've said to you is not the most important part of the service. Right now is the most important part of the service because we can come to God. We can approach the living God and ask him to help us. I don't care who you are, what age you are. You might be a, you know, middle school, you might be high school, college, a young adult. I don't know. But God wants this for all of us. But we can't get it by living in the flesh. We have to have the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. You know, a contemporary to the prophet Isaiah was Jeremiah. And God speaking through Jeremiah said this, My people, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. Hear it? He used the same imagery. They've forsaken me. And what have they done? They've done, dug their own cisterns. They've tried to make their own way. but those cisterns don't hold water. There's no joy. There's no abiding presence. There's no daily help from the Lord because they've turned somewhere else. They, they don't want me. You know, it's not hard to tell. <laughs> 
not hard for me to tell if I'm in the flesh, yielding to my flesh or yielding to the spirit. It's not hard. This isn't rocket science. Paul says the works of the flesh are evident. It's clear. Sexual immorality. Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. It's not a, it's, the list could go on. But he says the fruit of the Spirit is love joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. <laughs> moment by moment, day by day, God wants to change us. You know that? He wants to change us. And the way he's given for us to be changed is he puts his spirit inside us. And if we will yield to that spirit, his spirit, he will transform our lives and give us a family resemblance to Him. And we'll have an abundance, not a problem-free life. We know that. We have all kind of problems. We have all kind of burdens. You may be, have so many today, but can't God's Spirit be with us and help us? The problem isn't instantly solved, but Jesus is with you. Maybe you want to be patient and gentle long-suffering like A.B. Simpson did. Would you come to him today? We're going to sing a couple of songs that we've been singing in the church for many years. Come Holy Spirit and have thine own way. The service won't last a real long time more, but to me this is the most important moment of our time together today. I'm going to ask you if you'd like more of God just to step out from where you're at and even come and kneel at an altar and say, God, I need more of you. I've dug my own cisterns, tried to live life my own way, even as a Christian. And I'm so empty so often. And I want more. <laughs> I want the living water that you promised. Would you be humble enough to do that and step out and no one will disturb you or bother you unless you want someone to pray with you. But you can meet with God who is the source. Would you stand please? Lord, in these moments, would you help us to turn to you? I need this. I need your abiding presence. Church membership can't fill the void. Church attendance can't fill the void. Lord, these things are good perhaps, but we need your abiding presence and help. Would you give us grace to turn to you today for those things? For only you can produce this living water in us. Let's sing this together.
special say, you don't need this, please come. our time together would you come meet those who've humbled themselves before you and even prompt others to respond today whether here or where they stand today for we need you come Holy Spirit we pray just one more time come Holy Spirit like to slip out I'd ask that you do so quietly and save some fellowship until you're out in the hall and even then can you respect the reverence of what's going on here and the holiness of this moment and even now the invitation from God's spirit is still here let's just sing this hymn together
these are holy moments. So again, just uh, thank you for coming. Think of these things. Ask God's Spirit to help you process them, live them. Go ahead and go quietly and thank you for coming. And any that still want to remain and pray, let's keep that spirit of prayer. God bless you.